We've been walking through trying to get a better grasp of Jesus and his life because so many times Jesus seems so far off and he's impersonal. And so what we've been trying to do over the past several weeks is bring Jesus up close and personal so that you would know that he was God in the flesh that walked in and among us. And he, and he knows the struggles and the stresses and the strains that we face in every in human, in our everyday lives. And, um, and this has sort of been a, a theme verse for us over the past several weeks as we've been walking through this. And, and I, I want to read it to you again today as we, as we start. And this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, when I first came to you, I didn't use lofty words and brilliant ideas to tell you God's message. And let me, let me say this to you. In a day and time in which media is very big, publicity is very big, TVs, movies, books, you know, all of that stuff is really big. You better be very careful who you listen to. Because something can sound really good, yet be so far away. And a lot of times what we end up doing in life is we turn our attention towards those things that tickle our ears, that answer the questions that we want to be answered and do what we want to, that we, that we make God out to be who we, want him, who we want him to be at that moment in time. Are you with me? We love for God to be a forgiving God when we're walking through difficult times. Uh, we, we love for God to be a blessing God when we're needing a blessing. But it's easy sometimes to twist things around. And I'm, I'm just saying, you should never listen to the things that I say. You should, you should take the things that I say and, and go back to God's Word and say, what does God's Word have to say about it? Because there's a lot of things that I hear on TV. There's a lot of things that I read in books. There's a lot of things that I see in movies that are far, far from what God's Word has to say. And this is our standard of truth. Always make sure that you go back to God's Word to say, what does it have to say? Because it's easy to lofty words, big stories, grand things, but go back to God's Word. See, there's change that needs to take place, but it's not in God's Word. It's in our hearts. And Paul goes on to say in verse 2, he said, For I decided to concentrate. I came to you. And I, first, I decided to concentrate on what was most important, Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I love what the message has to say, and this is how the message translates that little passage there. He says, I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is, and then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. Last week, we talked about Jesus crucified. We talked about Jesus, the Lamb of God, had a sweet time of celebrating the Lord's Supper together, communion together, and remembering the sacrifice. Um, because a lot of times in life, it just becomes the comment and the phrase that we've said it before, Jesus died on a cross for my sins. And it can become just so quick off our tongue that we fail to realize that the lamb was slaughtered for us. Today, we're going to look at something that's probably a little bit controversial. We're going to look at Jesus, the miracle worker. How many of you believe that Jesus did miracles? How many of you believe that Jesus does miracles? Here's the tension. How many of you have ever expected a miracle, looked for a miracle, desired a miracle, yet it didn't happen? Where was he at? I mean, if Jesus is a miracle worker, where is he at? 
I mean, I think there's a tension that's involved. And we say Jesus is miracle worker, but all of a sudden, when Jesus doesn't show up when we think he should show up, when he doesn't respond the way that we think that he should respond, there's a tension that all of a sudden we're faced with. And all of a sudden, our faith, that which we say that we believe, is put on trial. And we've got to make a huge decision about what we're going to do and how we're going to live. What are we going to do at that moment in time? What are we going to do at that moment in time when the wife who has cancer, the doctors say no? What do you do at that moment in time when the husband walks out and says no more? There's tensions that are created. And you begin to wonder, where is God? See, we know the stories in the Bible, the numerous stories of miracles that we see that take place, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. We know the, the stories about the blind men, or we know the stories about the resurrection from the dead. We know those stories. And yet, so many times, we struggle. And we ask the question, where are those miracles today? Where are they? Others say, well, God's a miracle worker. I believe it, but I sure never have experienced it in my life. See, I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen the struggle of the family, the couple that dealt with infertility, but I don't understand why me and my wife have yet to have a child. I just don't, under, I don't understand. I mean, I saw their child, their son rescued from drug and alcohol abuse, but what about my daughter? What about my daughter? God, where have you been in the midst of all the stuff that we've been? You know, you, I, I saw, I saw the, the financial blessing that brought them out, and, I, and God, I saw. But what about us? We're walking through one of the darkest times of our life. I saw their marriage restored, but what about ours? And I think if we're all honest, there are tensions that we experience when we start talking about miracles and Jesus. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of you were here today that are struggling with that even right, right now. So if we're going to talk about miracles, why don't we go back to the first account of miracles that we find in Jesus participating in a miracle in the New Testament in the book of John. So why don't you turn to the book of John with me in the New Testament to chapter 2 and let's look at that recorded account of Jesus and the miracle at the wedding. While you're turning there, the first four books of what we call the New Testament, you know the Bible is divided, for those of you that may know, the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Old and the New and the first four books that are recorded that we have in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what we call the Gospels. They contain what's considered to be the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They tell us from four different perspectives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the perspective of Jesus' life as lived out from four different viewpoints. Today we're going to take the story from John's perspective and we're going to look at it as we talk about Jesus, the miracle worker. But before we do that today, I want to pray with you. Because this is where we're going to head today. It wouldn't surprise me if some of you here today are in desperate need of prayer. It wouldn't surprise me if some of you here are in desperate need of prayer for something physical, something of your own, something within your family, financial, marriage, or whatever it may be. It may be on the result of a child, and you're here, and you're struggling. 
And I'm going to tell you where we're going to head at the end of the service. This morning at the end of the service, there's going to be a time for those of you that are at that place and need prayer for you to be able to be prayed over. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask some of our overseers to come and to stand with me. And for those of you that are at that place, you're being, you're, you're, your faith is being challenged. You're at a place where you feel like you're being tested. You're at a place where you're about ready to give up, or you may not be ready to give up, but you're just struggling and you need strength and encouragement. We're going to have a time of prayer at the end. And during that time, you're going to have an opportunity for come and not just hear what we've been talking about today, but to say, God, I need a miracle. I need you to show up in my life. So that's what we're going to head today. But before we talk about Jesus and miracles and look at some things that I think are important, can we pray? Father, would you hear us today because we need you. I need you to be in this place, God, as I know you are assembled amongst us. May the Holy Spirit be moving. And Lord, may our ears be very attentive to hear what you'd have us to hear today. There's some that may be here that are ready, ready to walk out, to walk away from their faith, what they profess in you, because you've not shown up in their time frame. I pray to this morning you would speak to their hearts. Our hearts would be broken, and Father, we would recognize how great of an awesome of a God that you are, and that we don't have to be afraid to question. We don't have to be afraid to doubt, but Lord, that we can trust you in faithfulness. Hear us today as we speak, and Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in a huge way, as your word is spoken today, in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 2, and this is the story is recorded in John. He said, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. Weddings are a big deal, aren't they? Huge deal. Huge expectations. Expectations on the bride, expectations from the groom, expectations from the mothers. Lots of expectations at weddings. I mean, there's so much planning that goes into that, that day. And I don't know how many weddings that I've done, but I know that there's an awful bunch. And this is what I can tell you about weddings. If there's something that can go wrong, when Meredith and I were, were, were getting married, married uh, back a long time ago, um, we had pre-taped this, this song and, and we were singing to each other while we were standing there. And I think, I think it was over the unity candle, wasn't it, Meredith? We had lit the unity candle. We were singing to ourselves, but it was on tape. We had done it prior to. And one of my groomsmen decides he's going to pass out. <laughs> fall down the stairs. I don't mean like fall down a stair. I mean like fall down like ten stairs. Blood, confusion, it's going to be okay, baby, just stand still, let everybody else handle it. He's going to be fine. If he has to go to the emergency room, they'll take care of it, just stand still. Hot is all get out. When in the world is it 100 degrees in New Hampshire? 
And I don't know if you understand this. I mean, it's almost like God had to bring a heat wave for, for my wedding. And they don't have air conditioners in New Hampshire, especially in churches. They don't ever, I mean, they only meet like one time a week. So why in the world do you need an air conditioner, right? Why go to all that expense? So I'm like thinking, I'm in the middle. I'm burning up. Got a suit. I mean, got a, got a tuxedo on. Sweat's just pouring. One of the videos you can see, you can see fume, uh, not fumes, what do you call it? Heat waves coming off my head. <laughs> supposed, to have, uh, supposed to have afterwards the, uh, the, the reception. Well, the reception was supposed to be outside, and I think it poured down rain, so they had to take everything for all those people, like 500 people, and move it all inside at this college. You're talking about stressed? I wasn't stressed at all. Meredith's mom and dad were stressed. Other people were stressed. But there are all these different expectations that we have at, at, at weddings. I, I did a wedding uh, not long ago. The dress cost more than my whole wedding did. And I, I mean, it was a real, it was one of those foo-foo type weddings. Are you with me? You know, you ever, you ever seen those on TV, these foo-foo type weddings? Well, it was a foo-foo type wedding. And so it was so foo-foo, they had a, a, a wedding coordinator. Well, everybody has a wedding coordinator, but not a wedding. This was a wedding coordinator. Like two weeks prior to the wedding, this lady decides she's going to send me the itinerary. Don't send me an itinerary. I do my own thing anyway. She sends me an itinerary telling me what's supposed to be happening. Phil, every minute, I took this thing, like eight pages of it. And I looked at it, and I thought, this is ridiculous. So we get to the wedding rehearsal. And I'm talking to the, the groom and the, and the bride-to-be, and we're talking about the wedding, and they, oh, I'd really like for that to happen. Well, the wedding coordinator overheard this. She goes, well, we, we, we just, we can't do that. And she started stressing me out. Started stressing the bride and the groom out. And I'm thinking, finally I said, I pulled her aside. I said, look, let me tell you something. This ain't my wedding, and it's not yours. It's theirs. And so whatever she wants, that's what we're going to do. Regardless if it's on your schedule or not, you're stressing me out. <laughs> that was pretty tough because she had high heels and, you know, she was running around. But anyway, it was all right. We made it through that time. But here's the point. The time in our lives that we seem to need a miracle the most, why is it? Why is it? that that's when the tensions and the expectations seem to be the highest. Are you with me? Why is it that the time that we need the miracle the most in our life is the time that seems to be when we're most stressed out, when the expectations are the highest, when the tensions are the roughest? You know, we want this to happen, but this is what we get. We want this, but we get this. It might be in a marriage, it might be in finances, it might be in reference to our children, it might be in reference to a job. You know, I, man, I was anticipating this, but I got this, and now, and there's a tremendous tension that's experienced. I'm struggling, and I'm miserable. And here in the story, they run out of wine. Now, it may not seem like a really big deal to you, but in that culture, it was a big deal. See, it wasn't the ceremony itself that 45 or 50 minutes or however long it was that got all the attention, but it was the festivities that followed. See, we put all the pressure on the ceremony. For them, it was what took place afterwards. 
See, in our, us, we put the pressure on the dresses and what's going to take place and who's going to say what and what kind of music are we going to have and, you know, and, and in some situations, who's going to walk her down the aisle. We've got all these different things that take place. But in that, in that culture, it wasn't what happened then, but it was what would happen afterwards. In Jesus' day, it wasn't, a, it wasn't unusual for there to be a, an elaborate celebration of festivities that would even last for up to maybe seven days if the family had enough resources. And it was a, it was a community event. It was a village event, and, and everybody was invited. And when you got invited, it would, be, it would be an insult to tell the family, no, we can't come, or to refuse the invitation. And so you've got people gathered at the wedding celebration, and they've run out of wine, and to say the least, it must have been an embarrassment. But it would be like the equivalent of the groom standing here and everybody's in place and everybody's waiting and all of a sudden, would you please stand, dum, dum, da, dum, and there's the father standing out the door going, I don't know where she's at. She sure ain't here. A huge embarrassment. It wasn't good. And the Jews had a saying that went something like this, where there is no wine, there is no joy. And some of you might say, now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's a whole different sermon series. We'll talk about that next week, okay? <laughs> where there is no wine, there is no joy. But the lack of wine really wasn't about anything to drink. What it was was a symbol of lack of joy. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if there were some of you here that were out of joy. Wine, the symbolism. But in reality, you were thirsty. You were hungry because you were lacking. Your marriage, your finances, the kids, you hate everything and you're at a place in life where you're, you're just at a loss. But in this story, Jesus shows up he shows up in this story, and, and what I want to do is, before I get back to the story, I want to say a couple of things to you about, there's sometimes a position that we hold or, or an attitude that we have that keep us from experiencing the miracles of God, and I want you to write some things down for me, because I think you want to, you want to know what these are, because I promise you this, if you'll watch it, you'll find yourself from time to time exhibiting this, this, these attitudes in your life. And you're wondering why you're missing out on the miracles? Because I'm fixing to tell you, give you a couple of things. Number one, I want you to write it down. Feelings trump faith. Feelings trump faith. What was it that happened in the story? All of a sudden, there was a, there was a sense of urgency. The wine came to the forefront. It was the issue at hand. And the problem got all the attention instead of the spiritual solution to the problem. We got a couple getting married, and instead of the focus on the joy, they panicked over what they didn't have at the celebration. <laughs> I know you've never done that before, though, have you? I know you've never been at a place in your life where all of a sudden, whatever it was that you were experiencing came to the forefront, and all of a sudden that took the priority in your life. I know that you've never done that. I mean, how, how many of us here have planned something to go a certain way, and it didn't go the way that you planned, and instead of sitting back and, and sort of examining what was going on, you just totally freaked out? You been there? Oh, you know. Some of you needed to get awake. That's why I did that. I was watching you. 
I mean, maybe you've been there, you've walked with the Lord for years, but all of a sudden, because something takes place, there was an extra bill that came in and it sort of threw your finances out of whack. Maybe it was a relational difficulty. And it's easy to get stuck in the temporary and lose sight of the eternal in what's taking place. You, you, you're, on, you're on the same page, aren't you, Leanne? Yeah, we're right there. I mean, it's so easy to do that. And, and here we go. We, we, we can forget what Paul said that as believers, we're supposed to be walking by faith and not by what we have in our back pocket. Walking by faith and, and not by what we think is going to happen. Walking by faith and not by sight, not just by what we can see. And it's tough, though, when we, when we choose to live that way. And we need to be reminded. But an attitude that keeps us from experiencing a miracle is so many times we walk by feelings instead of by faith. The second thing that I, I want you to write down is this. When we're facing difficulty or expectations that aren't being met, it's, it's easy to give in to the thought process of, of why is this happening to me and get stuck there. And that's the wrong question. See, instead of asking the question why when our expectations aren't being met or fulfilled, maybe the better question is, God, what is it you want me to see? What is it you want me to see in the midst of this time that I'm experiencing right, right now? And what we end up doing is, is we have a way of taking matters into our own, our own hands. Okay, God, since you aren't doing anything right now, I'm going to help you out. Since you don't seem to be paying attention. But how many times does God not respond in our time frame because it's not His time frame? Because it's not time yet, Tom. Here we are expecting God to show up right now. And how many times do we step in and help God because we think that maybe, maybe God's got it wrong? The wine supply ran out, so Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. Now this is really funny because she was a guest at the wedding. She wasn't the one responsible for the wedding. She's a guest. And all of a sudden she saw the problem and immediately said, man, listen, we got to do something about this. Aren't you guys like that? I mean, I'm like that. I mean, there's a problem. Let's go fix it right now. That's what us guys do. Man, there's a wife comes to you with a problem. Well, let's just fix it. Let's just fix it. Since God isn't showing up, since, okay, I can do this on my own. I don't really need you. I can do something about this. But how many times do we do that in real life? I love, I love what the prophet Isaiah records in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. You know, here are the Israelite people, on, off, on, off, on, off in the relationship with God. And the prophet, he records these words in Isaiah 30, 15. He said, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you won't have anything of it. <laughs> See, you wouldn't repent. You wouldn't turn to God. You wouldn't trust Him. You just kept trying to do things on your own. In verse 16, it says, you said, no, we will, we will get help from Egypt. They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. And see, horses are a symbol many times in the Scripture of being able to do it in our own, in our own strength, our natural strength, and, and not looking to God for help, but looking to our own selves. I'll just do it myself. There's a passage of Scripture, and I think it's in Psalms 27. It says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but I will trust in the name of the Lord. 
And he goes on to say there in verse 16, but the only swiftness you're going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. In other words, it ain't going to work. Regardless of how strong or greater your abilities are, what you're trying to do, it ain't going to work. In verse 17, one of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee and you will be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. In other words, when you try to do it on your own and you try to make it happen, you're going to end up on the top of a hill, isolated all by yourself. Have you ever found, have you ever felt that way? I have. I have. So what do you do when you find yourself at that place when you're isolated? I am so glad that our God doesn't run from us, but that he runs to us. Look at what it says next in verse 18. He's gracious. What a gracious God. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. That's hard, isn't it? Because patience is a, is a, it's a gift. It's a spiritual fruit that comes as we know him. I struggle with that. Because there's a lot of times I want to get my hands in it and I want to fix it. We can miss it. We try to take matters into our own hands. The third thing I want you to write down is this. It's easy to exaggerate the negative. It's easy to exaggerate the negative. How many whiners do we have in here? Husbands, do not poke your wives. Wives, do not poke your husbands. I mean, it's easy when it's negative. Oh, my goodness gracious, the world is going to fall apart. Are you with me? Something goes on and all of a sudden, man, you can't see past Man, it's just everything's negative. Everything, woe is me, woe is me. And all of a sudden, it's so easy to have a pity party. And there's nothing wrong with, with telling God about your problems, even telling other people about your problems. But what about telling your problems about God? Did you get that? I mean, it's one thing to tell God about your problems. It's another thing to tell your problems about God. It's a whole nother situation. I need to remind myself all of the time of who God is. It's so easy, because it's so easy for me to get stuck sometime in what's happening and to focus on the negative. And then we jump to, it'll never happen. It just will never happen. Woe is me. And you can't see, what's the old saying? You can't see the forest for the trees. Because of the negativity. And Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. And there are things, and there are times in our lives when things just don't look good. And it can not only be a, a time of discouragement, but it can also be a time of defeat where you just want to give up and quit. And you want to wonder why we don't experience the miracles of God? Write this down. We say it a lot. Faith isn't faith until it's tested. What we say we believe isn't faith until what we say we believe is tested. And then it becomes faith. Up until that time, it's just been some good stuff. But you know when it's faith, when your faith is tested, when it's those things that you say you believe that you hold on to is tested and they're put to the test. 
the fiery furnace, when things aren't going the way that you want. We all have got those phrases. I had a, have a senior adult lady that, tells, that told me early on in the days of heritage, she said, when you get down to the place and she said you're struggling, she said, I honestly believe in taking God's word and standing on his promises. And she said, so I, I write it on a piece of paper and I stick it in my shoe. Or she said, I'll put it on a sheet of paper. And she said, I'll get right there and I'll stand on it. And she says, I'm standing on God's promises. Sounds pretty simple and maybe even foolish. But there's a lot to that, isn't there? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it was Paul that said, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, in Christ. And this is what Paul is saying, that there are going to be those times that, that it, it, it looks like things aren't going the way that you want them to go or that God's not going to show up or maybe God's not paying attention or that you're out of luck. And let me just remind you of this, Satan is a liar. And what Paul was saying, God always keeps his promises. For those times that you feel like you're lonely and God's not there, Satan's a liar. For those times that you think that maybe God's not interested in what's going on in your life, Satan's a liar. And you better understand that because he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Does it ever dawn on you that the God of the universe is much bigger than us? Does it ever dawn on you that God may not operate the way that we think that he should operate? That's why it takes faith to serve him. Trust, not always seeing or understanding, but taking those steps of faith, believing that who he says he is and that he'll do what he says that he will do. But let's finish out the story with just a couple of thoughts about what it takes to experience a miracle today. Now I want you to write these down really quickly because of time. Number one, do what Jesus tells you to. John chapter 2, verse 5, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. My dad used to say that about my mom. Son, whatever she tells you to do, just do it. That keeps a lot of peace in the family. Here's mother, here's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and she's telling, listen, just do whatever he tells you to do. She knew something about him that maybe they didn't know. And she says, whatever he says, do you just go do it. And I'm reminded of what Isaiah said, my thoughts are not are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. To dumb it all down, God is known for doing stuff outside the box, guys. He doesn't have to do it the way you think that it should be done. In your time frame, in your way, in any type of circumstance, God is much bigger than the box you might want to put him in. If we have to wait to get it, we might miss out not only on how much bigger God is, but we might miss him completely. God doesn't work on our time frame. There's a story in the Bible about a blind man, and the blind man's friends were going to bring him to Jesus. They had heard that Jesus was healing, and if they could just get Jesus to touch him. So they get him to Jesus. Jesus takes him outside. He spits, and he puts it in the eyes. And they're thinking like, what in the world? If just touch him, don't spit on him. But how many times do we, do we formulate in our mind the way that we think God should respond to us. How many times is it like that? 
But if you have to understand it all, you will miss it. Second thing I want you to write down is this. When experiencing a miracle yourself, don't ask what God's doing in me. Uh, don't ask what God's doing. That's not the question. Ask what God's doing inside of me. It's not always on the external that God is at work. How many times is it, is it on the internal? I was sharing with a friend the other day about the darkness of depression. He was sharing with me his story. And as we talked, I was able to relate to him because there was a time in my life that I had never experienced that. But then there was a time in the early days of heritage that I knew what it was like to walk through a dark time and feel as if God was far, far away. There was a time when I felt like I couldn't even hear God's voice. There was a time when I, when I felt that, that I couldn't even make a decision. There was a time in my life that I was very confident. All of a sudden, I became very inconfident. I couldn't understand what it was, but looking back, I, what, I, what I came to understand that what God was doing in that time of darkness, God was taking and pouring me out because, see, there was a lot of things in my life that I could do because of my abilities or my talents. But what God was doing during that time of depression, he was emptying me out so that he could fill me back up. And I didn't understand it. See, I was the guy that would say, man, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it together. But because I walked through that, I understand and I see with a different set of eyes. And I can hear. And I can have compassion. Because I've been there. Depression is real. Mental illness is real. Sometimes, God, it's not about what's happening on the outside. It's, God, what are you doing in my life? And what is it you're trying to teach me? What is the work that you're doing in me? The story goes on in John chapter 2, verse 6. Standing nearby, six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each would hold 20 to 30 gallons. So here they are. They're out of wine. And instead of filling the empty containers that they had, Jesus goes over and gets the ceremonial pots, the, the, the cleansing pots that they have. Now these weren't just any old pots, but they were used for the ceremonial cleansing. So they, they were at the door, and as people would come to the temple, they would have to clean themselves. They would have to wash themselves, and it was such a, a strict procedure. There was somebody usually there watching you to make sure that you did it right. And if you, didn't have, if you didn't do it right, they'd have to make you do it over again. I mean, it was a really big deal. So there was, this is what's taking place, and it was religion at its best. And here it is. Jesus takes a symbol of dead religion, the pots, he takes a symbol of dead religion, the pots, and what he does, he puts joy or wine back in that which was dead. If he, I mean, Jesus could have filled the wine glasses, but he didn't fill the wine glasses, but he filled the ceremonial pots that were worthless. He filled the ceremonial pots. And Jesus just wasn't performing a miracle at that time, but he was also... It was also a time of teaching. And Jesus was saying this, I just didn't come to fill your wine glasses, but I came to bring joy in the midst of your confusion. I came to bring hope in the midst of your hopelessness. I came to bring light in the midst of your darkness. It wasn't just about the filling of the wine. Jesus was also teaching something there that was very significant. And here's the point. How many of us are going through something right now and Jesus doesn't seem to be responding? Maybe it's because you aren't listening. Maybe it's because you're focused on the problem instead of what God might be doing. But the question isn't why. 
The better question is, God, what are you doing in me? And I read, I read what Peter says, and it begins to make a little bit more sense. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. And why do we walk through trials and difficulty? These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire test and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. In other words, God takes the pain and he develops and strengthens our faith and our resolve. But it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy to, to get discouraged. I remember the saying in football, no pain, no gain. In church life, though, we have a tendency to think when somebody's walking through difficulty that it's all about a specific sin. Maybe God's just at work trying to teach something to deepen and, and develop the roots of their faith. But we're really good about shooting people when they're down, aren't we? Some of you have BB guns, and you look for instances like that. Shame on you. I'll call you out if I see you do that. We ought to not ever do that. God's people, we ought to surround one another, but it, the temptation is there. The temptation is there to judge, but judge lest you be judged, because I promise you the same judgment you pass on somebody else will come upon your head somewhere down the line. The Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say don't judge. It said, but before you judge, you better make sure you clean up under your doorstep. I don't know if that was a rant or not. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Write this down. Believe God for the unbelievable. Trust God for the things that others say are impossible. It goes on to say, he said, now dip some out. He was talking about the ceremonial washing pots. And take it to the master's ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master's ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it come from, but the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. This is what Mark, what Mark said. He said, Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. With God, everything is possible. And that's a good refrigerator verse. You might want to take that and put that on your refrigerator. And here's just the last thought. Sit on the edge of your seat and wait for God to do what's best. Sit on the edge of your seat and wait for God to do what's best. I want you to look at this building. This is impossible. Bob, this is a blessing from the Lord. Or some people might say it was about this or it was about that. There were some of us, Tom, Jim, Jack, there were some of us that were praying that God would show up in an unusual way. And we, matter of fact, if you go back and if you look, in many of, my, many of my notes that I would write, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat expecting to see what God's going to do next. And it would be really easy for us to become complacent. I mean, look at the building that God has given us and the room and the space. And it would be really easy for us to just become really comfortable and complacent it may, you may be at that place in your own Christian walk. When's the last time you said, God, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat wondering exactly what might take place next because I can't stand it because I'm expecting a miracle. 
I'm expecting you to do something because, God, I know that you do the impossible. What everybody else says can't be done. I know that you can do it because I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've not just heard about it. But what happens when God doesn't do what we think that He should do? For those of us that are believers, you keep moving ahead. You keep rejoicing because God must be up to something. We just have to learn to trust Him. But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But our God isn't about the temporary. He's about the eternal. And always remember that. And in ending, let me remind you of this. I ask you this question. What is it that you're presently facing? And how would God have you to respond? Whatever it is, what is it that you're facing? And how would God have you to respond? Because this is what I know. I know that there are some of us here that are without joy today. That your wine glass is empty. And you're on the verge. The question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to hold on to the attitudes over here that keep you from experiencing a miracle of the Lord? Are you going to take on the attitudes over here and say, God, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat expecting you to show up? I'm going to ask if the overseers that are here today, if, if you guys would come join me up front across. And, um, and, I, and I told you earlier that I wanted there to be a time of prayer because it wouldn't be surprise, surprising to me if there were some of you that you're at the place that you felt your joy was gone. You're in need of some specific prayer. It might be for family. It might be for marriage. It might be for children. It might be for finances. It might be for work. It might be, for, I don't, it might be healing for sickness. I don't know what it may be. But you're there today and there's a tension that's involved because you're questioning, if I pray, will God hear me? And will God answer me? I don't really think that that's the right thought. I think the right thought is, God, I'm bringing it to you, realizing that you're God that's in control, not me. And I'm trusting you, God, to handle it in whichever way that you see fit. And I'm going to leave it right there. And so if you're here today, and you're at that place, and you're needing to pray with somebody, just as an acknowledgement that, number one, that I acknowledge that there's an issue that I'm walking through or somebody within my sphere of influence. It's sort of like putting some, some feet to your faith. It's one thing to listen to it and talk about it like we've done today. It's another thing to say, I believe. I need somebody to walk in prayer with, and pray with me right now. I need somebody to walk alongside. So as Brian comes, and I want to see if he might just play some music just in a in an attitude of worship, if you're here today and there's something that's going on and you need somebody to pray with, your wine glass is empty and the joy is gone, I'm going to ask you to come. There may be some of you here that have never made a decision to trust Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle in all the world is when there's a sinner that comes and says, I want to repent of my sin and believe and place my faith in Christ. And if that's you today, these overseers will be here as well as myself. I would say just come during this time and say, I want to trust Jesus. But during this invitation time, 
It's just a time of response, of reflection. And as we close our service, this is what we want to do. And at the end of this, when I feel like everybody's had a chance to respond, I'll close us out and we'll be dismissed from this place. But I don't see how we can leave today without there being an opportunity of prayer and response. Would you pray with me? And then if you feel the need, you're welcome to come today. Father, help us in our time because we realize that Jesus, that you are the miracle worker, but so many times we position ourselves to not experience your miracle because of our lack of faith or because of wanting to take control or whatever it may be. But today, what I'm praying is that as people of, of God, as your children, that we would position ourselves to hear your voice and to not get discouraged, but to hold on. So if there are people that are in this congregation today, that are in need of prayer, Father, or even this morning, I pray that they would come. They would be honest, and they would come. For those that are thinking right now of all the reasons why not to come, I pray you'd give them the courage. It demonstrates, Father, that we aren't going to be like a horse, but our faith and our trust is in you. So would you hear us, and may we respond effectively today as we come and pray. Jesus' name, you come as you feel led.